we're, we're on to this uh, seismic shift here, we're moving from maximum to ultimate. And uh, we're not going to go rehash what we did yesterday, uh, but just maybe a couple of points just by review to get us uh, back on track here. And then we're going to segue into the ultimate progression, the progression we need. The, the, uh, and we're, so we're going to track the progression that I want to illustrate to you so you can see what your assignment is. The, the ultimate ultimatum was what? To protect the system that you are, you are building to establish or have established, depending on where you are in the continuum, but to protect that system and to deepen the discipleship. That's the ultimate ultimatum if you're going to be an ultimate CEO. And uh, we're, tomorrow we're going to fill up the rest of the boards and we're going to look specifically about deeper discipleship. And what does that entail? What do we have to do? How do we target people for deeper discipleship? How do we analyze? How do we target? How do we stretch them? And what is your job as the ultimate evaluator? The ultimate evaluator. You're not going to be evaluating things as frequently as you have been because somebody else is going to be evaluating yesterday's macro, which is today's micro for you if you're moving up. And, uh, and remember, we, we talked yesterday, we established the fact that you are, some of you are ready to move. Some of these guys are salivating to hear Jim this morning because they're ready to move. And they want to make sure they've got all that they need to make the transition and into multi-sites or whatever else they're going to be doing. But so some are ready to move into ultimate CEO. Some are about to move, but we got a little bit more tweaking and refinement to do with the system. And some of you uh, that we met last night, all you new CEOs, um, you are learning the methods, systems, and processes, so you're building the system. And uh, so you're not ready to, but you get a vision. You get the vision. So we talked about moving from leadership, you being a leader, when you're moving to the ultimate, then moving to facilitation, to be the facilitator. We talked about what it is, um, what it feels like, what people say it is, uh, what does it take, and what are you going to need to undergird you? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What do you need to undergird you? What do you have to have to make this thing effective? It's a shift. The, the one thing I do want to review and amplify on a little bit is the shift into your new job description. The job description really never changes. The one through five. Provide direction obtain plans, ideas, and recommendations, commission the work, provide success, and coach, teach, train, and mentor, provide success, discipleship, at least 30% of your job, and you're going to move to 50 in the ultimate. The guys that we always cite in our, Harvard does in their business uh, case studies, those guys that they cite, Welch and Callaway and others, the, uh, they spend 50% of their time as the CEO of their corporation, 5-0, 50% of their time discipling. 
They don't call it that. They call it training and development. World-class training centers, chief learning officers, right alongside of the CFO, the chief financial officer, and they put a premium on discipleship. And you won't be an ultimate long if you don't have depth of discipleship and if you don't, so that we're gonna work on that tomorrow. But today I wanna show you the, the ultimate progression. But let's, let's just look at the, the job description again, the one through five. And we put them up here and I tried to illustrate, you know, what the change is, what it used to be, and then what it is today as the facilitator. But let's just re-look at that and maybe hit a few points that I may not have made yesterday. Number one is provide direction. As a facilitator, as an ultimate CEO, you're, you're still gonna provide direction, but it's much more macro direction because you're up here as the eagle now. You're flying closer to the things of God, the macro, the things that matter to God, and you're out of the day-to-day. And so your responsibility here, obviously you have to have a strong team here that has to be as good as you were when you were here. That's why your discipleship right now is critical. And if you don't have that, then you can't make the transition. But your job up here as the facilitator is to provide direction, but it's macro direction. It's, here's, here, you heard the plans yesterday from the, from the uh, advisors, and they, each of them shared what, their, what God has been speaking to them about. Well, that's what you would cast to your people. But then your people take over. They run with it. They make it happen. So your job is to cast the principal vision, the principal priorities, the things that God said we're to do this year. And we're going to look at how those compound, too, which which is another reason why you need more depth of capacity and more depth of competence. But you're casting the vision, you're telling them, you come down off of the mountain and you tell them, this is what God wants, and you give that direction. But you're not giving direction on every little thing anymore. They have to have that capability to do that for themselves. And we actually, maybe I should explain it this way, we, we actually change the bit, well, you know, the, first of all, the job description, the one, two, three, four, five that I just cited, that's not a straight line. I mean, I present it in a straight line, but it's, it's always a continual process. You provide direction, you obtain plans, ideas, and recommendations, you commission the work. If the work's not commissionable, then you redirect it. And they go back to the drawing board with their team and come back with the revised plans so that it is commissionable, so it is approvable. You don't fix it. I've taught you that long ago. You, know, you don't fix it. That's disrespectful. The most disrespectful thing you can do, because implicit in you fixing it or you telling them exactly how to fix it is you're too stupid to ever figure this thing out and I'll show you how to do it for goodness sake. And that's disrespectful. So you redirect it, and they get another cut at it. They've learned, and you also then you coach them. You tell them why it's not commissionable, and then you send them back to the drawing. You don't fix it for them, you just coach them. And you steer them and aim them and challenge them to think of, think of it from a different perspective so that they would see what it's going to take to approve it. And then it moves over here to evaluation. 
Now, this is the way you worked as the leader with your system, you, and it just continues to go around. You, after you approve it, and even when, it, when you do approve it, you coach them, you tell them why it is successful, so they learn. Why, not only what's wrong with it, but what's right about it. So you enforce that in them, and then when it comes up here to step five, to evaluation, then you're, you go, it keeps on going right around. Now you're making, you're evaluating progress. You're looking to see, are we on, are we on track? Are we achieving? Are we, well, we're hitting it on three out of the five points, but these two aren't working. They're not effectively meeting the needs of our people. So we make mid-course corrections, and that requires redirecting. And it's a never-ending process. Now, with, with them, with you moving out of the way, it, you cast the vision, and their job on an ongoing basis, day in and day out, is to look at, they're, they're, they're starting here. You're putting the systems, and this will become a little clearer when we get the other illustration, but you're putting the systems and the, the criteria, the culture, and everything that you've done that, you've directed that. Now it's their job to evaluate it and make sure that, they're do, that we're doing it exactly the way you cast the initial directive. So that may become clearer when we get over to this board. But this is a continual process, but once you've given the macro directives, then their job is to evaluate continually, is that happening? And then they direct it, and they get plans from the teams beneath them, and they continue the process that you worked for a considerable period of time. So the very macro direction, the things that are important to God is what you direct now. And then I'll show you some other things you're gonna direct when we get into the 50% of your job being discipleship. Then number two, uh, I, I just kind of went over that. You set the, vi the, the system, the vision, the values, the expectation, the culture, and the priorities. You, set the, you direct the system, the vision, the values, the expectations, the culture, and the priorities. The five things God said to do this year. Yes, that's what you direct, but then they take over from there and make it happen. And your, your involvement becomes much more minimal. And your shift in emphasis then is what we're going to cover down here tomorrow in terms of depth of discipleship, depth of capacity, depth of competence. They commission the work. More and more work is commissioned by them now, in the number three. So again, because yesterday's macro, now they're handling what is more minutia for you, and they're handling the macro. And then they're coaching and teaching and training their people and making sure that their people are training the next levels of teams. That's their job, but you're gonna check on them periodically. They're doing that every single day. They're evaluating, are we doing those things? We want, we want the Timothy process, well this doesn't work. If we don't have the Timothy process going down to the entry level people when they come in here, when they come into the tachometer here, into the leadership pipeline, so they're going to be evaluating that. You're going to check with them on a less frequent basis. But you're going to check. You're going to have to check, but on a less frequent basis.
And then evaluation. They ask the depth charge questions when they're meeting. When they're, when they're meeting here and when they're meeting with their team. They ask the depth charge question. I'll explain. Some of you don't know what that is yet, but in, I'll explain what that is when we get to the post-evaluation action diagrams over on, the, on my left here. But they, they ask the depth charge questions over, they're over and over. They're relentless about the progression, what needs correcting, what needs refining, what needs mid-course correction. And they, this is an important statement, they lead the accountability-based culture that you established. So you established the culture, now it's their job to keep it strong. Cultures, plural. I said yesterday, the, the learning culture. We have to have a learning culture. And that starts the minute people enter the pipeline. The peop they enter into the, this pipeline here, where they hit the door, they find out what we stand for, what is our culture, what, what is our DNA. And we're a learning culture. We're, we're like uh, Pastor Whitfield said yesterday, you know, we're, everybody is a minister. God spoke to him. Everybody in your ministry years ago is to be a minister. Ephesians 4. And it, it doesn't say in Ephesians 4, you know, try to get some of them. It doesn't say 36% should be ministers. It said perfect the saints for the work of service. Ministering. Involved in the ministry. There's no percentage there. It's, it's everybody. And we miss that. That's our responsibility. Is to not just get them to the point where they can be of use to us but to get them into service so they can be blessed and become more valuable to God, for God. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's look now at the ultimate progression. So if we go back to the door over here, where God sends them to the door, and then we've got the entry into the pipeline here like we diagrammed it yesterday, uh, you, let's just put the the door back over here. So God sends them to your ministry. God sends us those, he entrusts them to us for our care, for our stewardship, for our discipleship. He's entrusted them to us. And now I say in the basic training, you know, the, the, we, we tend, because we're so far behind the curve in terms of having so few people that we keep, that God sends, and we have so few people that we train that we are hurting for people all the time. And so the, the next person that shows up, we tend to view them as what can we get out of them instead of what we can put in them. So we're going to be looking here about what, we got, what we've got to put in them, what God is holding us accountable to put in them. And so they, they hit the door here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to illustrate the various points. Will it be every single one? No, but I've got, a, I got enough here that will make the point. So we start out number one here with your unique selling proposition, your brand, your value proposition. So 
they've hit the door, they're going to get involved in the pipeline here. We've got a lot to diagram here, a lot to, a lot to fill out. But, the, but this has to be established. What is, what's unique about your church? This is a term coming from Procter & Gamble, who we mentioned yesterday, IBM was, was voted by experts all over the world uh, as the number one company for a variety of reasons. Number two is Procter & Gamble. And guys that, that want to get into um, a marketing, uh, if, if, they, if they were to go to college, then they go to get their MBA at Harvard or Wharton or someplace, and then they want to get into marketing, they go to work at P&G, Procter & Gamble, because they're the experts on branding, on brand identification, brand differentiation, you, the unique selling proposition. So they, they go there for an education. I mean, they get a job there so they can get educated on marketing and branding. And then they might move on to another company, but it's a training ground. And of course, they try to keep as many as they possibly can. But the, so your unique selling proposition, what is unique? You, these are the things you have to establish. This is the ultimate progression that you have to have in place. This is part of the system before you can move to the ultimate. And then you monitor it. Well, let's, let me back up. They monitor it, and you evaluate it periodically to make sure that it's still there. Uh, several of you told me after that session yesterday that, you know, I, was, I had that situation where, you know, man, we were torqued and we were achieving and man everything was just going it was it seemed like it was really excellent and then the next time I turned around I don't know how much time lapse there was there they didn't say but the next time I turned around it, it wasn't excellent at all it was a disaster and we lost a lot of ground and things started unraveling so fast so so these guys here have to be evaluating these things and then so do you down here, but you're unique. So you have to. What's unique about you? They're coming to see what you have for them and their family when they visit. Well, we need to be able to tell them what are we about? Who are we? What is our brand? What do we stand for? And a lot of times we're we're timid about telling them, you know, the truth that we expect you to be a minister. We expect you to serve. We expect you to learn and get involved in our leadership program here so that you develop your ability to become all you can be. And we're timid about that. It's like, oh, well, we'll scare them off, you know, if they think this is something that's going to be valuable, but they'll have to contribute. They'll have to contribute their time and energy to make this happen. I can just tell you from marketing, the, the, the more truthful you are, and even with price points, you know, they, they perceive the value. Don't, when we, even, even at the megachurch that I worked at, when we raised the bar for the qualification for membership, when we raised the bar, we got more members. When it was just messing around and pretending, and oh, it's not hard on you, and you know, and you're gonna love it, and it's just kumbaya, you know, nobody got involved. But when you raise the bar and you tell them, hey, this is what it is, this is what it's going to provide for you, and, and then your value proposition, you know, what, what is it that we're going to put in you 
What is this going to, how is this going to be of value to you and your family by being with us? So that's the first thing that, that we'll put up here on the continuum because that is what we would want to tell people right out the gate, what this is. The next would be uh, where they enter the leadership pipeline. So then we tell them we've got this, you can call it something different than the leadership pipeline, but we, we have this program to develop you rapidly to become of value to God. And you gotta explain that scripturally and what's the consumer benefit of them doing that. So this is the leadership pipeline here. And that, this is where it kicks into action. I, you know, we talk all the time about how critical this is and that in 13 years of doing this training, I have, unless you've been to the training before and heard me, I have not had one pastor in 13 years that could tell me what this number is. And it's the most important thing we do. The, the, I call it, therefore, the great omission as opposed to the great commission. But they don't, we don't have that fact. And so getting the, the people into the pipeline is critical because that's how you change that number. The people that come out of that pipeline are entry-level leaders. But we've got to get them into the pipeline first. And the criteria should be everybody. Everybody should, I mean, if everybody's going to be a minister then, and you believe that, you believe what it says in the training manual here, then everybody has to get into the pipeline. And what, what I meant to say was, and, they, and pe so people say, yeah, that's a fact, I gotta get that fact. And then when I check, it could be, a, a, you know, with a client that I meet with on a quarterly basis or an annual basis, like, you know, though they still don't know what that number is. Why don't you know what that number is? I thought you said, it. well, yeah, we're gonna get it, okay? And then when they find out what the number is and a year later, okay, well, where are you? Well, we're not really sure. You know, we've been so busy on, this is where the money and the people are. Nothing could be more important to, to help you build your ministry than that. And, and, I, and then after years and years and years, it's still maybe, 12 to, you know, 17. Now, I know we can't get everybody into the pipeline and graduate and become a member, but you can't be ultimate if, that, if, that kind of, if that's the kind of result that we're getting because you're, God's going to be wanting to increase your vision and help you become a serial entrepreneur and you won't be able to finance the things that he wants to do and then we're always, behind, that's why we're always behind the curve. He wouldn't give you a vision or, or a new uh, entrance into something without providing, he's been providing. He's been providing for decades. Okay, so the leadership pipeline is next, so we, we have to evaluate that. How many, we gotta get the facts. I didn't say this yesterday. But, uh, you know, we always, in the basic training, we've got Isaiah 11:2, and Jesus, it, the Isaiah prophesied over the coming Messiah, he will have these spirits, wisdom, understanding, not, uh, counsel, and knowledge. And then in Proverbs, we, two books back, 
It says that if you want to build something, you need the wisdom. If you want to establish something, you need the, the understanding. And if you want the, uh, if you want the uh, present and precious riches, then you need the knowledge. And the Living Bible says that those words, knowledge, are facts. Common sense, uh, understanding is, con Living Bible says it's common, uh, um, knowledge is facts, um, Understanding is common sense. That's why we work in a team. So we can have common sense. And then the wisdom is a wise plan. So that's the formula. The formula is we get the facts. This is how you build your ministry. This is how you reinvent your ministry every time you meet or now when you're here, they meet. And it's get the facts, put common sense onto the facts, what's the cause, what's the effect, and then turn it into an opportunity by developing a wise plan. Facts, common sense, wise plan. Issues, problems turned into opportunities. The same meaning, just different words. And if, if we're not, if we don't have the facts like that, if we don't have the facts of how many people entered the pipeline, how many graduated, who were the people that dropped out? Get them. There are sheep that went over the wall. They're missing. The training manual says to get the lost sheep. The only way you would know somebody's lost is you gotta count the ones you got left and know some are lost. So this is a fact you have to get. The next one, it, oh, and this, the criteria here, my counsel, is that this is everybody. Everyone goes through this. Not just the people who choose to go through it. I mean, you can't force anybody. We're not into abuse. But we're, what's your program, what's your marketing program to get everybody in there? And what's your program to get the high potential people in there? I'm not discriminating between people here, but there's some people, you're desperate for leadership and you've got high potential people that are not in the pipeline. So therefore, they don't qualify to help you build your ministry. An example was uh, we had Brother Dave Nemes from uh, Alberta. Where are you, Dave? there. And he was up here yesterday. Well, you heard him. He works for IBM. He works in the corporate world. They've, IBM has trained him. He's been uh, just because he's, he's a servant for his pastor in his ministry. But he's, he's following me around. He's been in LA. He's been in Fort Worth with Dr. Seville Host, And he's here today. But he's a high potential guy, right? He would be a hypo. They call, that, they call them in the world system, hypo. So you would want to make sure when you see a hypo like that in your ministry that you get them plugged in as fast as possible because you need the best help, talent you can get. And he would be an example. <clears throat> so, okay, then and when they complete the pipeline, they come out of that pipeline, now they're an entry-level leader. Entry-level. They don't know much, but they know enough to get involved. 
entry-level leader. I left the level out, but entry-level leader. So they come out of the pipeline, they're an entry-level leader, and now we gotta get them plugged into service. You gotta, that's a fact you need to know. Did they all get plugged in? Did they all get plugged in? And we need a program of plugging them in. We're gonna call that onboarding program. In the basic training I shared with you about, I'll tell you what onboarding means in a minute, but I shared with you about my old boss, Les Wexner, and at the Limited, they reached a level, meteoric success, and then he hit a level here, couldn't go any further, a five billion, with a B, five billion dollar ceiling. And he couldn't go any further, couldn't punch through, and he talked to Spielberg and Welch and Callaway at PepsiCo and he found out, what he found out was that he wasn't developing leaders. He hired people like him, merchants. They were brilliant merchants, but they were specialists. I'm gonna to talk to you about silos. Specialist silos over here somewhere tomorrow. But it, he hired specialists and uh, that's fine, but you can't build your ministry on specialists. You, you may need some specialists, but you're not gonna build your ministry on specialists, you're gonna build your ministry on generalists, people who can lead anything. And we go over that in the basic training. I, I, I can't do that here. But you're, you're so, he, so he changed his dynamic, and because uh, he was meteoric success here, the darling of Wall Street, now, now the dummy of Wall Street, couldn't punch through the, couldn't keep going, couldn't sustain the momentum. And you won't sustain the momentum in your ministry when you run out of leaders. You're gonna only go as far as, and it's not just a warm body, but competent, capacity-developed people. So, but then he, what he did was he said, well, we, don't, we haven't been grooming them, so because we haven't been grooming leaders in our corporation, we're gonna to have to go outside and get them and, and then start grooming them more inside. But to close the gap here, we've got to get them out. So they went to uh, the best retailers of the day, and they, went, and they picked the best leaders from those corporations and recruited them from Neiman Marcus and, and uh, you know, Banana Republic and uh, wherever they thought they could, they, uh, they could identify a high potential person. And they brought them in as leaders. Well, it didn't work. Most of them didn't make it past six months. Most of them didn't make it past a year, and a lot of them dropped before six months. Why? Because they, they weren't oriented appropriately into the company. So you can't just train a leader and then throw them into the breach somewhere. You gotta have an onboarding program. There has to be a program to help them succeed. And so we have to tell them, you know, we have to give them an orientation. We have, to get, give them, we have to have a job description for them. We have to introduce them properly. We have to train them and schedule them properly. We have to assign a mentor to them. We have to provide them every opportunity for success. So, and, and, we, and we don't do that. We're not doing that well. And I know we cover that in the basic training, so I don't want to get into this too, too deeply here. I want to show you the continuum. But we've got to have an onboarding program. We're working hard to develop people, and then we just throw them out there? And we don't, we don't have any way to track? Again, the facts. Did they arrive? 
at their assignment? Are they still there three weeks later? Or did, were they treated so poorly that they're not even there anymore? We gotta monitor this system. These are, this is a talent pool we're developing. We're developing a talent pool and we've gotta make sure we know where the talent is at all times. The facts. It all starts with the facts. You have to have more facts. You have to have, and, and in the basic training and for you new people, when you come to the interim trainings, you get those things from the interim facilitator leaders. They give you the, the thing that, some of the things they've acquired and developed over time. So we have to have an onboarding program. Then we plug them into a team. They get on a team. They're on a team. This is where they start to learn. They get involved with people that are working on building the ministry. So this is, it's, it's not about lectures from you. It's real, but, but they're gonna learn proportionate to the team leader's competency in modeling what you want. Mo replicating the way you've taught them. Did, did you hear what I said? Do you understand what I'm saying? They're, they're learning. They're still on a learning curve here. This is a whole learning curve. Could have done it on a curve or this kind of curve. But, the, but it's, it's, a, it's a straight line because this is, this line here is kind of a dual track. I drawn it, drew it as a single line, but it's a dual track. We're continuing to build and refine and perfect the system and we're also working toward reaching the V, the vision on this track. And this is, these are the ingredients that get us that to keep the, this is the system and, it's, and, and every individual goes through this process and you won't have a, the vision won't be accomplished unless the system is what it needs to be. Because I said that yesterday, the system, which consists of your culture and your methods, process, procedure, it's all, it all, it trumps the vision. Because you can have a great vision, but if you don't have the system to pull it off, you're not gonna get it. You don't have the infrastructure to pull it off, you're not gonna get there. So now they get on a team. So now they get plugged in, down the line somewhere. I mean, it's going, it could be, depending on your, progression, but it could be two, three, four levels down into your ministry, but they get plugged into a team down here working on one facet. If it's the illustration I gave yesterday, the children's ministry, then maybe they're on the, what were those little, nursery, uh, toddlers, kids this, kids that, or kids, super kids or something. But they're down on one of those teams down there. And it, it's, and, and all we're asking them to do is to observe, learn through osmosis, and contribute your wisdom, understanding, counsel, and knowledge to the process. And they start seeing how the process, the total involvement, empowerment, proverbs process works. They see it working in action. But it's gonna be proportionate to the, to the aptitude of the, what, team leader. So that's, so we've got to check and monitor, and that's what we're going to talk about. You've got to make sure that you're, now these guys now, when you move to, they're going to have to do that. But you're going to have to do it also on a less frequent basis. 
Okay, so we get, they get plugged in on it to a team. Then the next progression is they become a team leader. They become a team leader. So the team leader has done such a good job of replicating himself or herself into the team and pouring them the things that are in here into the team, sitting down like Jesus did, pull up some rocks here, guys, and let's learn something. Every day, every time they meet, this team leader is pouring into the team so that when you need to move the team leader onto another assignment, a more challenging stretch enrichment assignment, then there's somebody behind them that's 80, 85% of them that can jump into the fray and in a year's time they're, they're as good as the team leader was or better. So now the next progression now is we've, we've got them in a team leader position. Then we put them on another team. Another team. They may be here, they may be a team leader on an area that they have expertise. They may be a team leader uh, in an area that they have had a lot of education or a high interest in, or in all of those generally work together. And they're on a team now where they, uh, they're, they're really a specialist. It's their niche. It's what they're good at. You know, I love children and they're in with children. Or I love this area of ministry and I'm good at that and I'm right there and I'm on that team. Now, we need to move them by either because of a need in the ministry we need to move them. And let's not forget our needs. You know, people like to, you know, people like to be where they're comfortable. And that's nice, but that's not how you build a ministry. And it's also not how you build people. Because if they just stay in their nice little area, they're not growing a whole lot. They're not being stretched, they're not being challenged, not abused, but challenged. And so we put them on a team now where they don't have all that experience. They don't have all, they, they don't necessarily, it's not a, their gifting. You say, well, I thought we were supposed to put them in their gifting. Yeah, no, they're gifted to be a leader. They're created to lead. We've all been created to lead. Aren't, well, you know, I heard that just leaders are born, you know, there's a few of them born every once in a while. No, we're all born and we all learn how to be leader. Jesus grew in wisdom and in favor with God and man. You know, it's not, you're not just born a leader. So we move them to another team, and now they begin to be a generalist. Now they're leading in an area they're not that familiar with. So this presents some new challenges to them. Good, now we're teaching them, they, we're teaching them and preparing them to be able to lead anything, because that's what you do. And if you're going to have people here, 
and here, and even here, you're going to need to have generalists that can lead anything that God throws at you. So you have to have that flexibility. You have to have that capability of developing generalists who can lead anything for you so you have maximum flexibility. So when God says, okay, here's the next biggie, Mr. Entrepreneur, Mr. Visionary, here's the next vision, here's the next biggie, now do this. And you've got to look at your talent pool and say, okay, well, jeepers, in order to do that, I'm going to have to move this person up there to point, he'll be the point person on that. Well, and who's going to replace them? Well, I'll take this person and put them in there because they, they've got the ability to, to do that. They're generalists now. They can go in that area. And then I've got to move this person over here. And you're building your ministry. Every time God throws another biggie on you, You've got to have that flexibility. So we need as many generalists as we can. And so it starts here. They got on a team, they became a team leader. Now they're leading a team in which they're not necessarily a specialist. And you're fast-tracking them to be those that come up into this sector here fast as possible. Okay, so now, then what would be next? Another way to develop them is by what I call an innovation cluster. Or it could be called a task force or a special project. But it's where you take high potential people. They're all, they, they, they're, they've handled the shift. This is, a size, this is a seismic shift for you to move from here to here. Or it was a, well, back here, it was a seismic shift to move from dysfunctional to leading and building a system. Now we're making another seismic shift. But for this individual, this is a seismic shift right here. To, to go from being a team leader in an area they're comfortable with and to be a, leading a team in an area they're not that familiar and comfortable with and not that clear about how it actually works. But they're surrounded with honest people who are competent. And as a team, they learn and grow and build, but we, they're learning how to work with new people. They're learning how to overcome resistance with new people, build new relationships. They're learning all those things which they have to have when they're going to get over here to replace you. So innovation, what is that? Well, one thing you're going to find out, I, I plan to talk about it tomorrow, I think, at some point, but the, if you're going to be the visionary and you're going to have all these entrepreneurial <laughs> ideas and God's going to be throwing all this new stretch stuff and big thing, who's going to figure it all out? Who's going to design it? Who's going to figure out the most uh, effective way to make that happen? Not you. Not you. We, we learned that a long time ago. You, we got to have other people that can think. Other people that can create. 
oh, you can layer your idea on top there. But no, you're not going to, you're going to have people that have to think, have to be innovative, have to be creative. I mean, are you getting it? I mean, you're going to be coming up with all this creative stuff from God, and who's going to execute it all? And when you take that big chunk of thing, and that has to be innovatively planned and created and uniquely done, where it has impact and excitement and effect, and then that gets broken down into all its component parts, you've got to have a lot of innovative people here. Or you got one innovative, you got two innovative people, and they get in there, you know, in the closet, you know, for weeks on end trying to figure all that stuff out. No, you have to have enough innovative people where they're working sequentially on the next big thing you just lobbed into your ministry. They're working sequentially, innovatively, on solving how that thing is going to be effective, impactful. Are you, are you hearing me? Okay, so, so we need a lot of innovation. So we've got to give people an opportunity to, you've got to cultivate that. And so we have to put people in what I call innovation clusters. Just, they're just small. So we pick, we pick one from, uh, I don't have the teams drawn up here, but yeah, we pick one from this team and then one from this team over here, one from this one and one from this one over here, and we throw them into the mix and say, here's a challenge. Go work on it. It doesn't always have to be done in their, in, in their own little area. It may be something new. And God, maybe God's even just speaking. He's starting to talk to you about it, but it's not clear. Just like when he started talking to me about the partnership for pastors. It wasn't clear to me what he wanted us to do. But he sent the one precious black man who was crying, came up here, gave me a hug, and said, what could I have done if I had this 20 years ago? And God said, see, he couldn't afford to come to the training. And you helped him come. But you can't finance my, my vision. But you see, there's a need. And then he sent me the Bible study, and uh, the yeah, Bible study with a friend of mine, 60 pastors. He said, give them all a free training. You see, how did that feel? He just starts showing you things. So he's going to start showing, he doesn't just say, here's the whole picture right here and dump it on us. You know that. It's the rope-a-dope thing that he does. And, <laughs> and so he, he will just start giving you little tidbits of stuff and start showing you things. And then he starts putting it together and packaging it together till the day where it's a pretty good package. It's not perfect yet. It doesn't have the bow around it. It's not all sealed and delivered. But when you, he starts throwing, that's the time you get your people. Hey, God's been speaking to us about this. I want you to look into this. I want you to tell me what, I want you to research. I want you to brainstorm, spirit storm this. I want you so, so it can start early, even before. So innovation, task force, special projects. This also is where you see the cream rise to the top. The people that jump in there and don't, you know, capitalize, run roughshod over people or, you know, they, they, they know how to work with people effectively, bring out the best in people. They, they may not even be the leader, but they're, they're the one that everybody kind of loves to be around and is, is stimulating their creativity as opposed to, you know, 
judging it as, as you throw out an idea. No, that won't work. You know, we need people that have that quality. Okay, let's keep going. Boy, we got a long way to go.